My name is Ben. I am one of the pastors here at Common Ground. It's great to see you all. Today is Family Sunday, which means I need our first through fifth grade students to come up to the stage. Real quick. Fifth through first grade. Real quick. Come on up. Come on up. Right here on the stage. Sweet. I got a good response. No, no, no. You guys are looking at me, not them. Look at me. Look at me. All right, great. Awesome. All right, listen up, guys. In this bag, I have about $10,000 worth of ancient gold coins. $10,000. Now, you can't touch them. I'll show them to you, and you can't ask me where I got them. See? You guys see the coins? Now, here's the thing. I would be willing to sell you this bag worth $10,000 for just $200. That sounds like a pretty good exchange, right? $200. Wink, wink. Who's ready to go ask your mom and dad for $200? <laughs> wow, that was super easy. But how do you know this is real? So we have one skeptic. Paul, this is your kid. They're fake. They're fake. So how, how do you know they're fake, though? Because you can tell how. By what? What test would you use, Luke Ingram, to determine that these are fake? The weight, okay. If they burn, okay, that's a good one. They're too shiny. They're really old. They're really, they're too shiny. You guys are good skeptics. Good job. These aren't real. They're, they're metal. They're definitely metal. These are not real. But how can you tell whether or not something is real or not? How can you tell whether or not something is true? Today, in the message, we're going to talk about the true message of Jesus. How can you tell if what somebody's saying about Jesus is real or fake? So, good job. I've got a coin for each of you. Where's my assistant? My assistant, you need to come up here. See my assistant, my beautiful daughter, Cora? Everybody gets one coin, and then go back to your mom and dad. And if you want to bring me money after, that's fine. All right, great job, guys. Give them a hand. Go see Cora. Get a coin from Cora and then have a seat. While they're doing that, everybody uh, can go ahead and find 1 John chapter 4 in your Bibles. Go ahead and grab a coin from Cora, guys. Go ahead. Go get a coin. Go get a coin. In the uh, Bibles under your seats, it's going to be on page 1,124. Man, I could have gotten rich today. First John chapter 4. But first, I've never, they are skinny. I've never bought fake gold before, but I did buy a lemon of a vehicle once. It was this beautiful, dark red Chevy S10 Blazer. 
It had a three-inch torsion lift, custom exhaust, big tires, four-wheel drive, and was a lot of fun to drive in the Arizona desert. That was the sum total of my research into that vehicle, was just what appealed to my eyes. But that thing chewed through transmissions and pieces continued to fall off of the front end. And in two years, I ended up spending more fixing that thing than I actually paid for it originally. So what about you guys? Have you ever fallen for something like that? Maybe it was a, an investment you couldn't pass up. But deep down inside, you knew something was off. You knew maybe it was a little bit too good to be true, but you did it anyway. Or, or maybe it was that house that was built in the 1920s and was super cute, and you just had to have it, even though you knew it was going to cost a lot to get it up to code, to get it renovated. But you just had to have it, and it was a money pit. Or how about this one? What about... A, a message or a philosophy from the world that got repeated to you over and over and over again, even though something about it seemed slightly off. But everybody around you was repeating the message, and so you started to compromise what you knew to be true in order to follow along, in order to be a part of that crowd. This morning, we're going to talk about lemon vendors. <laughs> lemon vendors have always existed and will always exist. And a truth that we ignore at our own peril is that those vendors exist in the church today. You might be inclined to think that this is a recent problem with how popular and pervasive some of these, these false gospels are, like the prosperity gospel and the word of faith movements have become in our world. But false teachers started springing up as soon as Jesus returned to heaven. And like weeds, they continue to crop up even to this day. So how do we know if somebody in the church is pitching us a valuable message or not? How can we tell whether or not that message is true or false? John is going to give us a study guide in preparation for that test, and it's absolutely foundational. So we're going to turn to 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and while I read that, my assistant is going to bring back my little bag of coins because she forgot to do that. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. 
Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, the word spirit in this passage can be, can be kind of a tricky one to nail down because that word can have multiple meanings and multiple uses. It can convey the idea of, of unity, like it describes in Acts chapter 4, where the, where the disciples were unified in one spirit, that everything in common. Or it can convey like a feeling, like the Christmas spirit, which shouldn't ever, ever happen until after Thanksgiving. <laughs> Where's the amen? amen? Okay, thank you. No? no? <laughs> Or it can mean to reveal a person's intentions, like giving a gift in the spirit of goodwill. In this passage, the word spirit can be best understood as kind of a combination, a blending of the words belonging and message. Does the message fit? John begins this chapter with with a warning. He says, don't believe everyone who claims to belong without listening to the message. Don't buy the bag of gold without without first examining it for authenticity. Many false prophets have gone out into the world, and these false prophets, these false messages, have turned away millions and millions of people. A sign of a maturing faith will be a healthy level of skepticism. Now, just so we're clear, that's skepticism, not criticism. Skepticism is a healthy reminder to to check the validity of the message, to check the validity of what you're hearing. Criticism is you venting your personal preferences because of how someone said or did something. John says we need to test the spirits. We need to test the validity, the authenticity of the message to reveal whether or not it's coming from the world or whether it's coming from God. And and one of the, the, I think it was Levi who came up here, said, how would we test that gold? Well, the word test in this passage is a metallurgic term. It means to melt it down. To test the authenticity of a precious metal like gold, you would put it in the furnace and determine whether or not you'd hit a bonanza or a worthless lump of slag. Now, most of us in this room probably don't have a blast furnace in our backyard. If you do, that's super cool. I want to be your friend. (laughs) But if you don't, that's okay. John is saying, do your own fact-checking. It's a very popular thing in our society right now, right? Whether or not it has three or four Pinocchios. You guys know that one? The fact-checker? The fact-checker? Checkers, that's hard to say. John is saying, be diligent in your pursuit of biblical truth so that you can recognize falsehoods. Don't be a passive recipient of information. In Acts 17, we learn that the Berean Jews were very eager to hear the gospel that Paul was preaching, but they were also diligent in examining the Old Testament to check the validity of what he was saying. They checked the source of what he was saying to confirm, yes, this is of God. Lies are constantly being thrown at you from the world and from those in the church 
who actually belong to the world. You'll find these false prophets on podcasts, in, in printed materials, as, as conference speakers, as, as pastors of megachurches, and even some songs that you might hear on the radio and, and be like, huh, that sounds a little off to me. Do your own research. So how do we know if the spirit, lowercase s, how do we know if the spirit of the, is of the world or of the Holy Spirit, capital S, of God? Well, in verses 2 and 3, Paul is going to give us the answer because we are little children. We are all learners. We all need instruction. Will this be on the test? No. This is the test. Verse 2, John says, by this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that denies, that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Now, you might hear these verses and walk away feeling like you might have missed something. So we're going to unpack this a bit, starting with the word confesses. Don't be fooled into thinking this just means what people say out loud. To confess something is true means to live out this belief in words, thoughts, actions, attitudes, desires, and motivations. This includes the seen and the unseen, the heard and the unheard. If I confess with my mouth on Sunday that Jesus is Lord but I deny him with my lifestyle the rest of the week, I ignore all his commandments the rest of the week, what I've actually confessed on Sunday is that I'm a hypocrite. If I exhort this church to give financially, sacrificially, but I'm hoarding all of my resources and living in decadent luxury, I've actually confessed what God I'm actually worshiping. If I say that I love God, but I'm clinging to bitterness because of what somebody did to me in the past, I'm actually confessing I don't love God. This is a big deal. Mind you, John isn't giving us license to judge the hearts and minds of others. Only God can do that. But we can see evidence of what the messenger truly believes based on the lifestyle being displayed, being confessed? Is the message and the lifestyle consistent? Or is there something off? That should be our first warning flag. Again, this is really important as we start breaking down what is actually being confessed. Okay, let's get to the confession. The litmus test for whether or not the message is from the world or it's from God. John says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Seems almost too simple, right? Here's where being a Greek scholar is super handy, which I'm not, but I have books written by them, so I'm good. We're going to split this confession down into three parts. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. The spirit that is of God will confess that Jesus is the Christ. Remember that 
that Christ wasn't Jesus' last name. Uh, Pastor Derek preached on this a few weeks ago. And, and according to him, it's probably Carpenter. <laughs> but we're not going to get into that. You know, he called me verbose once. I had to look that up. It hurt my feelings. <laughs> the spirit that confesses Jesus is the Christ is acknowledging this, this, this Greek word Christ means Messiah. It's a, an acknowledgement that Jesus is the promised one, the anointed one from heaven, the redeemer. It's identifying that Jesus is the eternal, sovereign God king of the universe that, come, that came from heaven and became like us. This is, this is kind of a big one. There have been and continue to be many, many, many false prophets out there that deny that Jesus is God. But here's where we need to get real. Is this, I'm sorry, I missed a note here. To confess that Jesus is the Christ is to confess that Jesus is God. That's in your handout. Is Jesus the sovereign God king of your life? Is this confession evident in your words, your thoughts, your actions, your attitudes, your desires, your motivations? Can other people recognize that confession in you, that Jesus is Lord, that he is king? If that question hurts a little, you're not alone. It's supposed to. It's supposed to cause some self-reflection. Let's get to the second confession. Second confession. So this Jesus Christ, the sovereign God, king of the universe, has come. Back to the Greek scholar that isn't me, has come includes this amazing idea of past and present continuous, which is pretty cool. This confession is actually belief in a three-part promise, that God has come in the past, continues to be with us present right now, and will be with us in the future. First, we can confidently look back and see that God's promise to bring that Messiah has already come. We're not waiting around for another Messiah. We're not waiting around for that particular promise to come true. There is nothing left for God to reveal to us because to know Jesus is to know the Father. Full stop. We need nothing else. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His, meaning Jesus's, Jesus' divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him, that's what we're talking about today, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Anyone coming to you claiming to have a brand new revelation, a brand new information on how to be saved or, or how to earn it is of the world and not of God. Those are called cults. The spirit that comes from God confesses that the promised Messiah has come and God has revealed everything we need to know him and receive eternal life. That's the first promise in this second confession. The next promise is this. The presence of the living God is here with us through the Holy Spirit, dwelling in us and working to conform us to become more like Jesus. The spirit that comes from God confesses that God continues to work out all things for our good at all times. This idea is included in this, in this two-word Greek combination. 
It also points to our belief in the resurrection. The third part of this promise is that Jesus will return again because of the resurrection. There's that continuous promise in those two words. Jesus is returning to gather all who belong to him, to judge the world and destroy evil, and to make all the hurt, all the wrong, all the brokenness go away forever and ever. These are the promises embedded in just these two Greek words. It's pretty cool, right? I should probably study that language more. So here comes that, that question again, that gut punch. Does your life reflect belief in these promises? Do you believe that Jesus came, is present in our lives, or do you believe that he's a distant God who doesn't care what's going on? That he started all this but has no involvement? Is your belief in his presence with us today and in his imminent return evident in your life, evident in your thoughts, your words, your attitudes, your actions? Again, if these questions are hard, if they're uncomfortable, press into that. Ask yourself why. And lastly, the final confession. This Jesus, Messiah, God, King of the universe, who came, is present with us through the Holy Spirit, is coming back again, came in the flesh. Here's that fancy Bible word we will never fully understand. Incarnation. God with us. God who became one of us, not like one of us, who became one of us, who set aside the glory and the majesty of heaven, took on a mortal frame, and had a literal body just like ours. So, so why does this matter? Well, for starters, if Jesus wasn't a man, he wouldn't have been able to die on the cross. If we deny the flesh, we have to deny the cross. If we deny the cross, we deny the forgiveness of sins. If we deny the forgiveness of sins, we are in a heap a lot of trouble. Only a being who is God could absorb the penalty for our sin. But only a being who was a mortal man could go up on that tree and die for those sins as the perfect sacrifice in our place. One commentary put it this way. His flesh, meaning Jesus, his flesh implies his death for us. For only by assuming flesh could he die. For as God, he could not. And by, not, by, and by denying his death, we deny his love for us, like it says in John 3.16. To deny the reality of his flesh is to deny his love, and so cast away the root which produces all true love on the believer's part. Do you know what that root is? It's sacrifice. We deny the flesh, we deny the sacrifice. If Jesus didn't come in the flesh, then the prophet Isaiah and the author of Hebrews are liars as they describe Jesus as acquainted with our sorrow, with our suffering, with our pain. That he's our advocate, able to relate to us in every way, was like us in every way, yet without sin. If Jesus didn't come in the flesh, then the cross was just an illusion. And Jesus didn't really die, he wasn't really human, and he can't relate and comfort us. It also means there's no resurrection. 
To confess that Jesus came in the flesh is to believe in the forgiveness of sins, not by merit, but by his perfect sacrifice. Do you see why this, is, this one is such a big deal? The spirit that confesses that Jesus came in the flesh believes in God's love and the forgiveness of sins. To deny this is to make us a slave again to the power of sin, death, and Satan. Do you confess that Jesus died for your sins? Do you confess that he loves you? Here's that question again. How is that confession being lived out in your life, being lived out in the way you speak, in the way you act, in the way you prioritize, in the way you relate to people, in your attitude? How is his love in you evident to others? That's kind of a major theme in this letter. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 10, 32, and, and verses 10, 32, and 33. Jesus says, everyone who acknowledges, read that, confesses, it means the same thing. Everyone who confesses me before men, I also will acknowledge slash confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is a big deal. Not just in the, in the messages that you choose to listen to, but also in how you choose to confess your life before others as a testimony to what you truly believe. By these confessions, we know that the message and the messenger comes from God, belongs to God. We know that the gold is real and not this fake stuff. But the spirit that comes from the world will deny even just one part of this confession, any, any part. And they'll, they'll fixate on that and they'll look for reasons why that can't be possible. This passage is spectacularly relevant because the lies spread about Jesus 2,000 years ago are actually the same lies being spread today. He, he wasn't God. He wasn't a mortal man. He, he didn't rise from the dead. He's not actually returning. Or here's a really big one. His sacrifice wasn't enough. You got to earn it. Salvation becomes Jesus plus something else. These false prophets promise freedom, like it says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. They promise this freedom, but they themselves are actually still bound. They're still enslaved to their sin. They're still enslaved and without hope. But they're, they're selling this message because misery loves company. And these lies produce misery. They're perpetuating this deep, dark lie that you can be free of moral obligation because there is no, no moral authority. There is no God. There is no Jesus. That didn't happen. Or, or, or the lie that Jesus wasn't enough. You aren't actually saved until you do X, Y, and Z. Well, how do you know you've done enough? Who gets to decide that? That sounds miserable. We could spend a month of Sundays just going through these lies and their implications on how the world distorts the name of Jesus. Does any of this sound frustrating? I'm frustrated and I'm preaching it. 
Are you concerned about your own confession, your own beliefs? Well, in verse 4, John transitions to giving us hope because I don't know about you, but I could use some right now, uh, especially after those two, first two verses and those mean questions Ben was asking. John writes this in verse 4, little children, I love that term, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Finally, some good news, right? How do we overcome the false teachers and false messages? With the truth. Not by our strength, not by being super smart, not necessarily by learning Greek, although that is a goal of mine. Not by being the loudest one on the street either. We overcome because we have been set free from the power and the penalty and soon presence of sin because of the person and work of Jesus. We overcome false teachers and false prophets when we abide in the true confession of who Jesus is and what he's done. Through the gracious presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and our due diligence to study, we can actually do well on this test. We can actually determine whether or not the message is fake or if it's genuine. We can determine whether or not it has value or really needs to get chucked out. Do you ever feel stuck in one of those worldly lies? Especially that last one, that you have to earn it, you're not doing enough. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Do you ever feel stuck in one of these lies? Did you know that you can be free from it? Colossians 2.8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits, lowercase, that's what we're talking about today, the elemental spirits of the world, the message of the world, don't be taken captive by the message of the world that are not according to Christ. How do we keep from being taken captive? Well, two verses earlier, Paul says, by walking in Jesus, by being rooted and built up in Jesus, by having a firm knowledge of Jesus being established in Jesus. Notice the lack of passivity in those verses. The best way to sum up this idea is the word abide, a theme John hammers at over and over and over again in this letter and in his gospel. Then closer and closer we abide to Jesus, the more we recognize the true message about him and the more we can recognize the lies. It's like the parable in John chapter 10. Go ahead and turn there. We're going to read this parable. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. In the blue Bibles, it's page 993. John chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus is speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. 
for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, for they will, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. I love this. The Bible is so brutally honest sometimes. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Okay, so dumb it down, Jesus. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastures. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy because the thief loves misery and misery loves company. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good to me. Scripture promises that we can actually do well on this test. We can actually discern truth from error, truth from falsehood. And that's good news. Your right confession of who Jesus is exercised in your lives is the message the world desperately needs to hear. Not for you to hide away in fear, not for you to, to cower because all of these other worldly voices are so loud and constantly bombarding you, constantly pressuring you to conform. Your purpose as a disciple of Jesus Christ is to confess Jesus in all areas of your life, in, in your workplace, in your schools, in your community, in your grocery store, with your friends, with your family, with people around you that don't know Jesus. You don't get to choose how people will respond to you. Scripture's actually really clear about that one as well. If those people belong to God, they're going to hear but if they belong to the world, they're going to reject it. That's out of our control. That's out of our power. That's in God's hands. But if, but if you belong to God, then this belonging will be evident in your confession. We can boldly confess Jesus because we are of the Spirit of God. And that Spirit is a Spirit of, of courage not a spirit of timidity. It is a spirit of boldness, not a spirit of cowardice. Unless, of course, you're walking around with fool's gold. Here's our main point for the day. True followers of Jesus Christ recognize falsehoods and boldly engage the world with the truth. That's what the world needs. Here's your next steps. Study for the test. Well, how do we study for the test? How do, how do we study to be more like Jesus? We, we have the manual. We have everything we need. You hear a message, fact check it. You hear a song on the radio that seems to be a good song, and it, they say Jesus in the song, but there's something about it that's off. Hey, fact check it. You have the resource. Do your own study. Next, live out 
your confession in the world. Everywhere you go. It's not just what you say, it's how you live. That's what people are going to notice. And finally, be bold and confident because I hate to break it to you, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that your spirit came to reveal truth to us, that we can know Jesus, that we can stand on that solid rock because he is the one who who came, he is the one that is and will come again. God, we thank you that you have provided a way for us to be free from these lies, that we can be free from these snares from the world. Because of the person and work of Jesus, it is all about Jesus, and we're so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that. God, I pray that we would live out these confessions in our lives, that we would be diligent to study and become more like Jesus, and that we would be conduits for the Holy Spirit to change us, that we would love others the way you love them. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.